What kind of a show are you guys putting on here today? You're not interested in art? No. Well, look, we're going to do this thing. We're going to have a conversation. Thanks for tuning in to this spoiler edition podcast about The Dark Knight Rises. I'm Adam Kempinar with Josh Larson. As our listeners are hearing this, Josh, you will be at home relaxing, taking a week off from the show. I will not be relaxing. I will be on the road in my family truckster with my family. Is that what it is, a truckster? It is a family truckster, actually, trying to enjoy a little getaway time. But we did want to meet the demand, if you will, of many of our listeners who were saying, look, when The Dark Knight came out, you devoted an entire segment, an entire second show, to getting into The Dark Knight and some spoiler territory and some of those details that you couldn't really cover in the main review. Are you going to do that with The Dark Knight Rises? And certainly, we've gotten a lot of great feedback on the film. I think before we dive into that, I think we should sort of summarize our basic position on the film, maybe for people who don't remember our discussion or just haven't heard it at all and are just diving into this spoiler podcast I was pretty enthusiastic about The Dark Knight Rises. I think certainly as I compare it overall to the other films in the trilogy, the Nolan trilogy, I would put it ahead of Batman Begins, but behind The Dark Knight, I would still rate that as the best film. It's kind of an easy assessment to make. I think it's kind of the Empire Strikes Back of the series. It's the fashionable one to say is the best film, but I think it really probably is. You would agree with that, certainly, but I think you... While you like The Dark Knight Rises, you were a little bit more moderate in your reverence for it, and you would put it behind Batman Begins. Yeah, I think it's the least of the three, but I'm glad we do get to say at the front that I I do think it's a really good film. It's not going to sound like that because the spoiler talk, a lot of my problems with it are in that ending, how the whole trilogy comes to a conclusion. So I'm going to probably sound pretty negative here, but I do think it's a very good film, especially within the comic book superhero genre. So there were things that we didn't get to during our discussion, whether they were due to the fact that they were too spoilery or we just ran out of time in that discussion. We're going to get into a few of them, I think, as we respond to the listener emails. We've got some positive. We've got some negative to balance it out. For me, looking over my notes, there were really only four things I didn't get a chance to say from my notes back in the initial discussion. One of them We'll get to later. What about for you, Josh? What were the things about The Dark Knight Rises that you felt were left on the table from our first review? I think all of them stem from two main things. Basically, that this franchise goes from being a tragedy to being something that's way too sunny. And also, it goes from a franchise that did not care about franchises, really, and bucked a lot of franchise trends to a lot of franchise care in its final moments. Now, I'm not saying that... Batman needed to die. When I've had conversations with people and I start talking like this, the first thing they say is, Batman can't die. That's not what I'm asking for. But there is a huge swing from Batman dying to where this film ends with him sitting on a sunny veranda with Catwoman on his arms, completely healthy. Life is going to be great. What I would have really liked is something somewhere in between, something that recognized all of the darkness and trauma that he had been through and nodded to that just a little bit somehow. I don't know specifically how they could have done that. I'm sure Nolan could have figured out a way. It's a very un-Nolan-ish ending where this franchise goes because I do think tragedy is Nolan's real strength, and The Dark Knight Rises, the way it concludes, does not play to his strength. So that covers the tragedy thing. The other thing I would mention comes with Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character, who turns out to be, of course, Robin. Again, I'm okay with that. You know, hint that he's Robin. Okay, interesting. Maybe there's potential for a story somewhere down the line. But this goes through that 
on so many beats. Not only do we get the hint early on, then we have to hear him go apply for Social Security or something. What's your real birth name? Oh, Robin. Oh, he's Robin. Then do you realize... That felt gratuitous to you, really, Josh? Totally gratuitous. Totally gratuitous. And this franchise ends with the final shot, if I'm remembering correctly, is Robin rising up into the Batcave. That's what we're left with. That is complete franchise care. That's like one of those Marvel movies we saw leading up to the Avengers. So we've gone to something completely conventional, which this franchise hasn't been before. Again, I'm fine if they had hinted at Robin, but to emphasize it so much, I really came away from this film totally expecting a fourth Batman film. See, you're not really wrong in anything you're saying. It's really a matter of how much you're willing to give it a pass or how much you're willing why to do see I have to give the some pass shades of great. Well, let me explain. Film. I'm not giving it a pass. I just disagree with you on how strident you are in your opposition to these elements. For example, there's no doubt that by ending on that note, by giving us Robin, it suggests the idea that we may get future films with Robin as a hero. And that seems like franchise care, as you call it, which bothers you for some reason. I guess I don't see the problem with suggesting the idea of Robin. And I think that suggesting the idea of Robin is a far cry from suggesting we actually are going to necessarily get future films with Joseph Gordon-Levitt playing this guy and it's just some kind of cash grab setting up more films in this franchise. That's not how I saw it. I saw it as yet another example of the movie ending on a hopeful note and ending in a way that showed us that even though this Batman is gone, that this hero is gone, there's someone else here in line to help fight Gotham's battles. That, to me, doesn't seem like all of a sudden it's ridiculously sunny and way optimistic. It's just a hopeful note. But we already got that hopeful hint a couple times before. You know, I understand what you're saying, that this is going to be carried on. That's clear from the first point that Bruce Wayne starts talking to this policeman character, that he's going to carry this on. That was a satisfying image for you to end after three films, really good films. That was a satisfying final image for you. It was very satisfying for me. And it was almost as satisfying as that final moment, the one I suggested actually did tug at my heartstrings a little bit, the emotional moment, even though you see it coming at least five minutes before it happens, the moment where Alfred looks up, Michael Caine looks up and sees Christian Bale and Selena Kyle together in that moment, that happiness dream he'd always had. That actually was emotional for me. I completely bought into it. And I think that what you're suggesting in terms of how happy it is, you don't see kind of the the shades of gray there. You don't see the ambivalence in a character having to turn his back on once and for all the city he's always been a member of and loved and fought for and given every part of himself for. He has to completely turn his back on that and go start a new life. No. That Batman is gone, Josh. That Batman is gone. And that alone makes the ending not nearly as happy as you're making it out to be. I didn't get a sense of that at all because they're depicted like they're in a sandals commercial for some sort of honeymoon. I mean, the only way that shot could have been sunnier is if they had an ice cream sundae or something on the table. There's no sense of that in and of itself doesn't seem like a problem to me. I don't see a problem with after this franchise being so dark, and certainly it was with the Dark Knight, and a lot of the Dark Knight Rises is that dark and gloomy and bleak and really gets into the worst aspects of human nature to finally end it with some closure, with some true closure, meaning this Batman has moved on and isn't that good 
Can't we actually finally cheer that this man has found some solace, has found some peace? I don't see that as remotely a bad thing. I guess because he finds so much peace and solace, it feels false. You talked about how you appreciated at the beginning of The Dark Knight Rises, he was this hobbled figure, Mm -hmm. this broken down figure. I would have just liked a tiny touch of that in some way in that final scene. That would have gone a long way for me, just a tiny touch. Okay. Well, we will have to agree to disagree on the ending of The Dark Knight Rises. For me, three of the points that I didn't get to bring up during the review, we talked a little bit about Bane as a villain and how effective we thought he was, but I really loved how we did get a different villain, where he's similar to the Joker in the sense that he's a character who seems to embrace chaos, but we did need an alternative to the Joker, and this is something that I don't think you really appreciated. I know some other people have criticized the fact that we get kind of an explanation for Bane at the end of the film in terms of him having some allegiances, him being actually a human being, it seems, and feeling some emotion. That, for me, really worked, and I felt like the film needed that because it needed some way to separate him from the Joker. It needed some way to make him a character who wasn't just out there causing chaos for the sake of chaos alone. He had some larger goal, just like Bruce Wayne does, just like Batman does. He's fighting for all the opposite wrong reasons, but nevertheless is fighting for something beyond just chaos itself. I like that. Yeah, I was okay that he was in league with the League of Shadows. Right. I, I like that aspect of it. That did separate him from the Joker. I guess what I didn't like was the whole Marion Cotillard character suddenly becoming the puppet master because that undercut Bane completely. Here we have this imposing figure for the length of the film who we really are terrified of. We re, you know respect his strength, what he could do. As we talked about, this guy could really break Batman. And then all of a sudden, in the final moments, oh, well... He's really just a henchman. See, I don't see it that way. He's not really just a henchman. Yes, there is someone else pulling the strings, but it adds what I just said, a layer of humanity to Bane that actually makes him a more interesting villain. No, I thought he was completely cast aside at the in the final moments. Wow. It was like all this buildup of this character was just undercut. Well, obviously, I didn't feel that way. I did feel, though, that one of the things that bothered me about the film was just in general the overabundance of coincidence. There are so many cases of... People being saved in conventional action movie kind of ways where just at the last minute as they're about to die, the hero swoops in or someone comes in to save them. There's just a lot of coincidence in this film that I didn't feel so much with the other two films. And I thought that was a little too generic and didn't really pay off. And then I'm sure this is something as people have written about Batman extensively. I know that there have been whole articles and features written about the nitpicky problems with the Dark Knight. I honestly can say I haven't read any of them, but I'm guessing this has come up in many, if not all of them. One thing that did really annoy me was the letter. Mm. The letter that Commissioner Gordon writes that reveals the truth about Harvey Dent. (laughs) So I'm just telling you honestly, as I'm watching this movie, this is my range of reactions to what happens in this film. It's bad enough that, first of all, he takes a letter out of his pocket as he's standing there eulogizing Harvey Dent or whatever at the party. It's bad enough that he's written it down on paper, this letter that that no one can know the truth about Harvey Dent, and he can't just get up and say it if he wants to. He has to actually write it down. He wanted to use specific words. Right, and run the risk of this knowledge falling into the wrong hands. It seems kind of ridiculous. Well, it's even more ridiculous that he just leaves it in his suit coat. As he goes out, yeah. as he goes out on business, and of course, as he's trying to investigate Bane or whatever, Bane ends up getting his hands on the letter. And then later, 
this letter plays a major role sure. in the film. It helps actually incite the violence, the revolution, because the people can't believe the truth about Harvey Dent and that it's all been a lie. And you know that's coming. Well, how about because... all that it takes is for Bane to read? Exactly. This like, they just take it on faith. This is an authentic I'm right, letter. As if he couldn't have written it himself. <laughs> right, I mean, yeah. the whole yeah. thing is ridiculous. But just the fact that this information, he's guarding so much and it's so vital and it can cause so much havoc, yeah. apparently, and he protects it. He protects it by just putting it in his his jacket, his his suit coat jacket. That's one of those details that, and I know some of the feedback's going to get into this as well. That's one of those details that feels like Nolan in the other films wouldn't have been guilty of. Yes, very much so. It speaks to a clumsiness that is apparent in The Dark Knight Rises, which I found pretty shocking, actually, okay. given the level of attention that was put upon The Dark Knight, especially. All right, well, let's get into the listener feedback. We're going to start on a happy note, rather than ending on a happy note like Dark Knight Rises, we're going to start with the people who are a little more on my side in their praise for The Dark Knight Rises. Jimmy and Beth Page wrote, When you get past all the media hype, the unfortunate tragedy associated with the film's opening, and comparisons to the previous Dark Knight films, what's most apparent is that Christopher Nolan has made a smart, multi-layered blockbuster that is head and shoulders above all of the other superhero movies released in the past two years. Nolan's central proposition is that the audience is at least as smart as he is, and crafted the story accordingly. Despite 15 minutes of expository setup in the beginning of the film, the story has velocity and demands that you keep up with it. At 2 hours and 45 minutes, it never feels bloated, see the fairy sequence in the dark night, and the ending delivers the classic Nolan ambiguity that keeps you talking about the film. I would agree with him about the length of the film. I understand that some people who are not big fans of the film have noted how long it is. I think you actually touched on it feeling long. But the problems with The Dark Knight, and there are problems, some of them we've already touched on, they have nothing to do with, for me, the length of the film. If anything, the problem with The Dark Knight Rises is that it's too ambitious, it's too large in its scope and its scale, and actually needed to develop some storylines further not shorten them down. And it's interesting that Jimmy mentions the classic Nolan ambiguity because that's kind of what I was looking he found it in the ending. That's kind of what well, I was I'm looking I'm seeing it for. as well. Yeah, I see I'm... the I see the happy and sad of a person who has had to leave his home, turn his back on his yeah. home once and for all and give up being Batman what once about, and for all. What about this? And and I hate suggesting alternate endings because I you know, I just want to take what the filmmakers give us, but just as an example of the ambiguity, what if Michael Caine's character, what if Alfred had just looked up and given a small smile, movie ends. You know, that that's just, it's a small thing. It's a little cut. But for me, it would have gone a long way towards that ambiguity that Jimmy's talking about. I like that. I think maybe I would have liked that more because that's a little more of an art house kind of trick to end with a note where, is he really seeing that? Or is it a figment of his imagination? Yeah, that might have been more interesting, but it certainly didn't dampen the film for me that we actually get to see what he's seeing. M.W. Leitzel writes in, Thank you for your compelling Dark Knight Rises discussion. I feel that there are two things worth bringing up, and for me, they both help make this film the best in the Nolan Batman trilogy. First, while you both gave props to Anne Hathaway's fun performance, I think it's worth mentioning that this is the most compelling major female character in any Christopher Nolan film. The dynamic between her and Christian Bale made the movie that much more engaging, whereas other romantic relationships in the great director's filmography 
autobiography tend to exist more as mere plot points. Second, this has to be Bale's best turn as Batman himself. In Batman Begins, Bale was somewhat overshadowed by a weak love story, due in part to an unmemorable turn by Katie Holmes. In The Dark Knight, he was likewise overshadowed by a number of excellent supporting performances, and even the fact that Batman existed as a more passive character in that story. In Dark Knight Rises, aside from no longer having the moral guidance of Lucius Fox and Alfred, and having to overcome possibly greater odds than any superhero movie plot ever, Bruce Wayne undergoes one of the most compelling emotional arcs in an action film that I've ever seen, and it's only he, in the end, who decides what Batman and Gotham's ultimate fates are, literally and symbolically. I think that's a good point. I think Bale is very good, and we didn't spend any time talking about him. Anne Hathaway, we both agreed, was very good. Though I'd argue Marion Cotillard in Inception, I think is a fantastic performance, and her role, that part is really key to a lot of the mystery that goes on there, and Cotillard plays it very well. Yeah, I have to admit, I didn't give any real time to thinking about all of Christopher Nolan's films and the different female characters. I think about a movie like The Prestige, where I actually really enjoy the female characters in that movie. Rebecca Hall, I believe, and Scarlett Johansson are interesting characters in that film, but maybe not as well-developed, maybe not as well-developed as Anne Hathaway. Maybe Marion Cotillard, though, from Inception would be a good counter to that. But yeah, I'm definitely with M.W. here on the pick of Christian Bale, this maybe being his best performance overall in the trilogy. And as we talk about Nolan in his larger scheme, I do want to plug KCRW's The Treatment. If you haven't listened to Christopher Nolan's interview with Elvis Mitchell on that show, it's very good, Mm. as you would expect, from Elvis Mitchell and Christopher Nolan. And one of the things they touch on that, of course, it's one of those Elvis Mitchell moments, like every time he does an interview with a filmmaker, even a filmmaker maybe I've talked to and interviewed, which does happen occasionally, or a filmmaker I feel like I know a lot about, there's inevitably a moment where he asks at least one question that I just kind of slap myself on the forehead and think, wow, why didn't I think of that? Why didn't I make that connection? And one of the connections he makes in Nolan's entire body of work is there's this common motif that runs throughout his films where the adversary, the antagonist, ends up interrogating the protagonist. The bad guy ends up putting everything back on the quote-unquote good guy and forcing the good guy to confront really what he's doing and what he's all about. It does. It happens in every film. It happens in Memento with the Joe Paneliano character talking mm-hmm. to Guy Pierce. It happens in even Insomnia, Pacino and Robin Williams. Of course, it happens in Dark Knight with the Joker right. and Batman. It happens in this film with Bane and Batman. You can go through all of his films and find that moment where the quote-unquote bad guy interrogates the good guy. And it's just interesting to think about why that is interesting right. to Nolan. Sort of yeah, thing. and he talks about that in the interview. Let's get to this positive response to The Dark Knight Rises from Meryl Lee Girado in Birmingham, Alabama. Josh, I implore you, see this film again. It was assuredly the most fun I'll have at the big screen all year. After that first scene on the plane, which was a thrill to look at, Nolan was playing me like a fiddle. The Dark Knight Rises got every reaction out of me that he wanted. I think it's because the stakes were so staggeringly high. I had never truly feared for a hero or for his city more than I feared for Batman and Gotham in this film. As you two touched on, Bane prevents a stakerific threat. Love it. Both in his physical presence and in his mission. In my opinion, the first showdown between Bane and Batman is the best in the film, mostly because there's no score. Also, Bane's monologue during the brawl should be so corny, but it's not. He speaks directly and quite eloquently to what the whole franchise has asked. Does light or darkness give us more power? Does Gotham deserve mercy or a reckoning? Bane isn't the only muffled voice for Bruce's identity crisis. Michael Caine's Alfred chastises Bruce when he considers donning the Batsuit again. Is Bruce's vigilante act an adequate cure for his regret, grief, and loneliness? Alfred asks. 
Of course not, I thought, and then couldn't believe what the Nolans were doing to me. By the end of the film, Bruce has found his identity, both as a symbol and as a flesh-and-blood human being. Well said. That transformation plays out beautifully in his decision to sacrifice everything for a city that cannot help him or even help itself. In the end, Bruce Wayne becomes a Christ figure. The Batman is the God-man, plunging himself into utter darkness for the sake of light. Yes, Josh, the very end was a classic gotcha, and may very well mean a prolongation of the franchise. But there's a wonderful three hours behind that gotcha, and I sincerely hope you give those three hours another chance. I hope you do as well. I don't need to give it another chance because much of what she talks about, I did appreciate it. It's why I gave it a positive review. Okay. But the ending, obviously, we're still going to yes, we're still going to disagree on, on that. that. Let's close out the positive responses here with this voicemail from Thomas. Hey, guys. This is Thomas from uh, Fort Mill, South Carolina. Saw Dark Knight Rises, absolutely loved it. Um, one thing that really struck me about it was how the trilogy really is a story about the Gotham City Police Department. And I was just so amazed at how in The Dark Knight Rises they had that crucial scene where the police department bands together and really fights a war. And when I think back about Batman Begins and the state of the police department in that film, how self-serving, how corrupt, how evil the whole you know, force was and the complete change they've done in these three films. Um, it's really kind of an amazing uh, part of the story that I loved. So, Thomas, obviously enthusiastic about The Dark Knight Rises. I have to say, I never really considered the police angle no, either in the I. trilogy and how that really plays out. But there is clearly an evolution there that Thomas responded to. All right. Well, we've heard all of the happy things that listeners think about The Dark Knight Rises. Let's get into the critiques, the people who did not have the glorious experience I have and even had a rougher experience than you some did, Josh. Some people just didn't like it at all. Yeah, some people just really didn't like it at all, including Jordan Welland, South Bend, Indiana, writes, I returned from my local screening of The Dark Knight Rises and couldn't wait to get home to hear you guys agree with my take on the film. Imagine my utter shock and complete horror to find out you actually gave the film a positive review. I honestly don't even know where to start. Though Adam did mention Hans Zimmer's unrelenting music, which, paired with Nolan's frenetic editing, can he not keep the camera on someone longer than three seconds, it turns the film into a two-and-a-half-hour montage. The main problem here for me lies with Nolan's writing. He wants the movie to be about something profound, but his way of doing so is by having the characters exposit on the themes in a way that comes across as pretentious and ponderous. I might have enjoyed the film more had I been able to decipher what Tom Hardy was saying, but most of what I got sounded like a bad Sean Connery imitation coming through a loudspeaker. There was a little Connery in that. Oh, yeah. yeah. I also have problems with how Nolan treats Gotham throughout the series. Whereas Chicago serves as a perfect backdrop for The Dark Knight, Nolan is obviously using Pittsburgh here. I can't be the only one who finds the inconsistencies with the location frustrating. Sorry, guys, but I just don't get your love for the film. There are so many plot holes and inconsistencies in the story. I just didn't buy it. I don't think the use of location is as effective. I think that's a good point. I don't know if it's just because Pittsburgh is substituting for Chicago. There seems to be a sense of dislocation in general. Mm-hmm. Like we, I just don't feel we're in the same place for whatever reason, as yeah. we did in The Dark Knight, where it was clear we were on the same streets but maybe underneath that, the same skyscrapers. But maybe that is because we are here in Chicago and we recognize the city Could of be. Chicago. Could I certainly well recognize those streets and many of the landscapes there that we see in Chicago. That really didn't bother me at all. 
all. Having been to Pittsburgh just in the past couple months for the first time, I certainly am aware of all of the bridges Mm -hmm. that are in Pittsburgh, and that's something that did stick out to me as a contrast to Chicago, but I never felt like we were in a completely different place, so I don't have an issue with that at all. Clearly, I had the issue with Hans Zimmer's score. I mentioned Tom Hardy and the whole voice thing with Bane. Yes, unfortunately, that was still a problem for me, but I guess where I disagree with Jordan is in this idea of the themes of the film being positioned in a way that we're really just being hit over the head with them. Yes, they're blatant. Yeah. I don't think there's a whole lot of subtlety here. But even during our discussion, I touched on some things that I took away from the film, some reactions I had to it that I don't think were necessarily explicitly stated by characters in the movie. And maybe this is a point, Josh, where you have to say it is a comic book film. So that right. doesn't that doesn't mean you have to give it a free pass for everything or even suggest that comic book films can't be subtle and nuanced. But The fact is, usually when you're dealing with that much text on a page and telling stories visually, you are speaking in a little bit broader. You are usually making broader statements, and I think that you see that maybe translate a little bit to the screen here, but that didn't bother me. It's somewhat been the style of the whole franchise. This has always been in grand When they talk about fear, they put it in that big... I'm okay with that. ...grandiose kind of context, so... We're in agreement against Jordan on that one. Let's go to this one from John Thompson. Like a lot of movies this summer, it had too much plot to get through to establish its stakes in any real way. Gotham becomes an anarchistic enclave, apparently, but it never feels like one. Gotham becomes an empty city, albeit one with a very popular kangaroo court and ruthlessly efficient garbage pickup. As you guys alluded to, the state of ever-present fear in a territory under martial law is not put across. It's all very weird and sterile. The number two aggravation I experienced came from the loose grip, even for a blockbuster, on meaningful establishment of time and spatial relations. The pit prison slash Gotham lockdown scenes took place over a period of six months, but they feel like a matter of days, compounded by the fact that hair and state of wardrobe don't seem to change during this time. The stock exchange attack takes place in the middle of the day, and the sun is completely and abruptly set by the time the bad guys' motorcycles have cleared the police blockade. And despite minor improvement, it's still difficult to gauge the distance and location of two characters from one another in action scenes. It's frequently disorienting. I will have to disagree with y'all on the script, as it was my number one aggravation. The actors redeem the material most of the time, but any scene with Michael Caine is excruciating, and the one in which he explicates Bane's origins and warns against fighting him is embarrassingly turgid and overwritten. One thing that I think needs to be noted more often by folks is the fact that, dent references aside, this film would have worked much better as a direct sequel to Batman Begins. It comes full circle in so many ways that the connections to the Dark Knight just feel perfunctory. Can we stop right there just for a second? Because that's the one paragraph here, and we have one more to read in John's email, that really just made absolutely no sense to me whatsoever. I really don't know what he's suggesting here with this idea that it should have been a follow-up to Batman Begins and not a follow-up to The Dark Knight. I mean, this film in every way is what it is, eight years after The Dark Knight. It would be literally a completely different film. But I think what he means, let me put it this way, I think you could take The Dark Knight out of this franchise, squish these two together, and there'd be very little stitching needed. I'm not saying that's a negative thing. For him, it's a negative thing. But I did notice that as the movie proceeded is, beside the fact that there's no reference to The Joker... Just in general, the trajectory from the things that happen in Batman Begins are so closely tied that this didn't feel like a direct sequel to I'm me. I'm sorry. That doesn't make any sense to me at all. This whole film Harvey is Dent predicated is, on Harvey Dent. Yeah, Harvey Dent is, is the looming problem. over this film. Right. Everything that happens 
is based on the fact that this is eight years removed from that, the kind of law that's been not, instituted. Not everything. A lot of it. The League of Shadows, which is the main villain here, yes, was the main villain there. Yes, that brings there. us back. That harkens us back. But yeah. they wouldn't have the entree that they have if it wasn't for the Dark Knight and the actions that caused this new form of law to come into place. I think the movie sets that up very clearly. The people are, are responding to that. So I think that hangs over this entire film, as does the very character of Batman. And we're going to talk about this in a little more detail, but everything about Bruce Wayne's character is based on the fact that he's been out of commission for eight years and is so scarred from what happened in The Dark Knight. So I don't see how you can separate that at all. Yeah, it would have been difficult to to try to put the two together. But And, and again, I don't see it as a, a negative thing that they are so closely connected. The last paragraph of John's letter writes, Ultimately, I think I was lukewarm on the film as a whole, but I'm with Adam in feeling that Nolan's final montage sequence was an effective and affecting bit of myth-making, even as someone who's not all that interested in Batman. It felt like a good payoff and a good place to end the series. Interested to see what Nolan does next, now that he's finished his blockbuster trilogy, Apprenticeship, and made the final leap into big-ticket directorhood. One of the things we talked about during our review that clearly John didn't feel the same way about is the action editing we didn't feel, I certainly didn't feel that it was disorienting and that the distance and location of two characters from one another in the action scenes was ever a problem. That didn't bother me. However, there's no doubt, and he says we alluded to it, I definitely made a clear comment about the fact that as much as I like this film, that last third, that last half, where we get into this kind of dystopic vision of Gotham City, the fact is, I love the ambition of it. I love where it was going. And the fact that it doesn't fully follow through and make me believe this new world obviously didn't hurt the film overall for me. But I had problems with that time and space. For example, believing everything about this kangaroo court and this new environment. But then also, what happens with Batman? What happens with Bruce Wayne? Where is he in the world and how he finally gets back to Gotham City? There are a lot of things there that it could seem like you're nitpicking, but actually are legitimate plot holes or at least plot questions. I think it's part of the problem of just taking on way too much. And I can see why they might have thought they could handle it, given how big the Dark Knight was and how well it worked. But yeah, that just, it didn't work here. It was way too much. All right. Well, this is our last big email here in response to the Dark Knight Rises that is very negative, And I think we'll actually kind of break it up a little bit. Manuk Margerian in Sherman Oaks, California, writes in with, a lot of thoughts on why this film didn't work. I'm a big fan of Chris Nolan's Batman movies and have been eagerly awaiting Rises. When I found out that a local movie theater was having a marathon of all three movies, I was on board without a moment's hesitation, even though I've watched the first two movies countless times. Needless to say, my expectations were through the roof, given what a great movie The Dark Knight was and the fact that Chris Nolan can do no wrong in my eyes. I loved Bane as the villain and overall grandness of full-blown revolution that was portrayed in the trailers. I'm telling you all this so you can understand how much I wanted this movie to work for me. But no matter how hard I tried, I couldn't overlook many of its flaws, which ultimately left me disappointed. I was surprised by your review because having listened to your show since you first reviewed Batman Begins, incidentally, I was sure that at least Adam would have a problem with its way too many really clunky exposition scenes and very unnecessary backstory that doesn't fit at all with Nolan's sensibilities. Another problem I had was Bruce Wayne's unmotivated decision to come out of retirement after eight years. I love the setup of him as a thin, sickly, crippled, almost an old man without anything to drive him because the streets were cleaned up so well. I was expecting a slow buildup of him actually getting his strength back and putting on his costume again because things are getting so bad that he's needed again. Instead, out of nowhere, we get characters pleading him to come back when nothing major has happened and Bane hasn't even surfaced yet. But I thought this was peacetime. 
Why did Batman need to come out of his eight-year hibernation? For this reason, I didn't feel like the action developed out of the story naturally, like he did with the other movies. It happened artificially because they needed Batman kicking ass as soon as possible. The proof of this artificiality to me came when the big stand-up and cheer moment that was intended when Batman first enters the frame came and went like a dud, even in the overly enthusiastic midnight crowd in our theater. Manuk goes on, The other major problem I had was Bane, an uninteresting villain. Yes, a great threatening physical presence, but that was about it, even with the backstory. And could you please explain to me, if he wanted to destroy Gotham with a nuclear bomb, a played-out story device, why go through the trouble of holding the city hostage in the first place? Was Bane trying to make a point about class warfare, injustice, inequality, or whatever? Was he trying to do an experiment? Why take down the establishment and give the city back to the people, who are pretty happy with their crime-free city, if you are going to blow it all up anyway? What was he trying to accomplish by getting rid of the government? There was a great opportunity to explore Bane's worldview deeply, the things he hoped to achieve, and the points he wanted to make, the way Joker's worldview so thoroughly was in the previous film. Ultimately, it came down to him wanting to destroy the city, which he could have done with a push of a button at any time. Bane's entire plot seemed like a necessary story point, with nothing interesting to offer except to give Bruce time to recover and come back to Gotham. And at least in Batman Begins, the reason why the League of Shadows wanted the city destroyed was because it was decaying with crime and corruption and was beyond saving. You could understand the villain's reasoning. Even that wasn't present here. In the past, Nolan paid attention to every detail and plot point, providing intelligent explanation and reasoning to every action and character motivation. A small example that comes to mind is the way Bruce was drawing up the plan to abduct Lau from China and bring him back to Gotham in the Dark Knight. You could tell that Nolan took time to think about how Batman could do that down to every detail, instead of cutting to Batman just appearing in China. Not like in this one, when Bruce climbs out of the pit, which appears to be on the other side of the world, and appears mysteriously in Gotham when it is being guarded so tightly. So let me jump in here real quick. That last note, something I hinted at just a few moments ago, is definitely one of those nitpick problems with the film that I agree with. When you see him escape that prison, he climbs out, and the whole time I'm thinking, okay, I know he's Batman, he's Bruce Wayne, but they've taken a lot of care in showing us how he's lost all of his fortune, all of his friends are preoccupied and unavailable. He really has no means to even get back into the country of the United States, much less get inside Gotham, which is under military and revolutionary control. And yet, out of nowhere, he climbs out of the hole, and 10 minutes later in screen time, he just walks into Gotham City. He just shows up on the streets. That is one of those details that you feel like the Nolan of the Dark Knight maybe wouldn't have let happen. Adam, he's Batman. I know. But at that point, he's not. He's not Batman. <laughs> I agree. I agree. Manute goes on, anyway, those big plot issues and smaller shortcuts like that are what made me think that Nolan could have been working under the gun with this movie. It didn't seem like the work of the meticulous and extremely intelligent director that I have grown to love. So Manuk clearly having a lot of issues with The Dark Knight Rises, and I think I would agree with him. I think you would as well. We've touched on it. Some of the lack of meticulousness with regard to some of the plot details with this film. But I think Manuk's overlooking something that I wouldn't say it's clear or obvious. I think it is confusing. It's something I had to think about a lot after the film in response to Manuk's email. But I think the movie does explain why they choose to put Gotham under that kind of control to start the revolution, even if the whole plan ultimately was to destroy it. I mean, it would seem to make sense based on what Manuk's saying, that if that was the end goal, they could have just done that right away. Why didn't they? The movie says that. Even Bane explains at one point something like, you can't have true despair without first building up hope. So there's a message he's trying to send by giving the world hope, by giving the people of Gotham hope, and then he's going to dash that hope 
by destroying the city. But also, it does fit into those questions he asked. It fits into this larger revolutionary scheme. Clearly, he's trying to use Gotham as an example, where after eight years of relative peace, he's saying people could go back to human nature. We can turn this on its head that easy. Don't be fooled. Gotham really is still an example of everything that's corrupt and decaying in the world. That's his whole point. Yeah, and the other way I read it, too, was that in Batman Begins, Gotham needed to go down, according to the League of Shadows, because it was so crime-ridden. Here, I got the sense that it needed to go down because it had become so decadent, so that the wealthy were living so high above the rest, and that underneath there were these people who were suffering. So that's part of the revolutionary aspect of it as well that I picked up on, at least. No, I think so. I think there is an explanation for that problem in the film, though I understand the question. If that was the end goal, it would seem to make sense, well, just detonate it but clearly the movie has other things in mind not just stalling time so bruce wayne can recover and crawl out of a pit i think we have to give the nolans more credit than that let's close this dark knight rises spoiler podcast with this email from greg Scholl. he says we can all agree that in the dark knight rises bruce wayne's body being shot at the beginning is a cool concept it reminded me of frank miller's dark knight rises comic and like you pointed out it was ballsy How often does a superhero movie portray the hero as weak and aging? When Josh brought up the point that this potentially cool setup doesn't follow through, you, Adam, argued that it did. Let's examine how this concept follows through. After Bruce receives harrowing news from a doctor, he suddenly has this magical knee brace that completely heals his injuries. All of them. He gets pummeled by Bane, but after some extensive exercising in prison, he's able to simply physically overpower Bane in the rematch. What's the point of introducing this through line if Bruce slash Batman suddenly is back to full strength? And at the end... He's suddenly able to physically overpower Bane. It's like he started taking HGH or visited Kobe's guy in Germany. He should have had to deal with his limitations, get craftier, more clever, more resourceful, like a veteran athlete reinventing his game. How on earth can you argue that this concept followed through? Keep up the great work. Love the podcast. Thanks, Greg, for bringing us full circle. Just a limp, maybe a limp at the end, and I would have been happy. Yeah, you would have maybe been happier. There's no doubt. Greg raises some interesting points. I remember seeing how broken down he was and then seeing the moment where he tests out his knee brace and it's like, hey, I'm back to normal. There is something a little (laughs) off-putting or doesn't seem quite right about that. But I guess I would disagree with how Greg's characterizing it. For much of the film, we see a more broken down Christian Bale slash Batman following through at least all the way up until Bane takes him down. So I think that plays a bigger role in the film than just this idea that he's magically healed and he's back to normal. No, I don't think he is ever back to normal as Batman, certainly the Batman we see at the beginning of Batman Begins. But there is something to say about the fact that at the end, and this was one of my notes, the fourth note that I had during our review that we didn't get to, there was something about seeing him fight Bane at the end of the movie that seemed off to me because I felt like he's already been beaten by him once. He's been for the past... God knows how long, languishing away in a prison, recovering from terrible injuries. Obviously, he doesn't have his normal workout equipment. Obviously, he hasn't been getting proper medical treatment. So, in theory, he should be an even lesser Batman than he was before, right? You're with me so far? I'm with you. And yet he goes back, and without us ever seeing him really devise a plan or come up with another strategy, he just goes back in and fights Bane, even though... This whole idea has already been proven wrong that he'll just fight harder. That's been proven wrong. Yeah. Somehow, he just goes and fights harder, and this time he wins. That doesn't seem right, but at the same time, my response to that is, aren't we supposed to read something into the fact that he hurts Bane, he injures Bane by hurting his mask? 
by knocking the mask off of his face. And that's something he learns in prison about him. True. That mask isn't just to cover him up. That mask is actually there to hold the pain away. So that is the strategy. We're supposed to see, even if Nolan doesn't make it emphatically clear, that when he comes back, he makes a point of trying to hurt him directly in the mask and trying to phase him that way. And it works. Yeah, Doesn't but you he don't, do you that? Don't throw a bat boomerang at the mask or something. You don't have to go take him on mano a mano again. It's also kind of corny that it's one of these big battle scenes where the, the main bad guy, the main good guy, like End up waltz meeting. through the middle of all the fighting people and right. put up their dukes. I mean, it's, it's just another conventional nod that this movie has that kind of took me by surprise. Okay, well, I guess the lesson we can take away here, the fact is what he's saying, there's a lot of truth to it. A lot of the people who are negative about this film, obviously I've acknowledged some of those same flaws or seen some of those issues. I just have to say, when a movie's working for you on the whole, on it's a grander to scale, that stuff. it's not so much even overlooking it. You recognize them in the moment, but it doesn't distract you to the point where it takes you away from the larger story. When a movie's not working for you, all those little issues just start to build up and build yeah. up to the point where it takes you out of the film completely and you even just start to become bored by it and want the film to end. Not only did I not want this film to end, I was really caught up in the story and wanting to see how it played out despite all those issues. Yeah, none of my problems, even the ones with the ending, completely took me out of the film where I thought it ruined the franchise in any way. I might have wished that it ended on a different note, a little bit differently in some way, but still, I found it satisfying. You can't be so reasonable about The Dark Knight sorry. Rises, Josh. I'm sorry. No, it's not allowed, is it? Either be emphatically it's a good for film. it. It's a good film. I'm on its side. Okay. Just not on the side of its ending. Okay, well, that is going to be a discussion maybe for another time. If you have thoughts about The Dark Knight Rises that you haven't shared with us, maybe all of these emails and some more of our thoughts have spurred you to react violently against what we're talking about, you can email us, feedback at filmspotting.net. I think we've talked over 50 minutes or so here about The Dark Knight Rises. Did we really? Josh. Yeah, we did. Wow. Thank you to everyone who sent in their thoughts. Sorry we couldn't get to more of them. Are there any closing remarks? I think I'm done with The Dark Knight Rises. Yeah, I agree. I think we need to maybe move past it here. We've had our closure. Yes, I feel closure. I feel at peace. All right. Well, you can't end on a better note than that. Thanks for listening, everybody. This conversation can serve no purpose anymore. Goodbye.